Welcome to Spirituality, the podcast that deals through love, light, and laughter. I'm Brandon. And I'm India. Brandon and I have had such a divine journey back to one another. We started out, as all of us do, as kids with big dreams and lots of love to offer. But we quickly allowed the realities of this world to separate us from ourselves and one another. From acting together in our third grade showcase. Where you were the literal big cheese. Yes, I was. (laughs) To traveling the globe, sharing our art, and working with children. As our paths took us on separate journeys, we have learned, aligned, and flowed right back to each other. And now we know we are vessels of love and light. Finally feeling free to love openly and pursue the deepest desires of our hearts without reservation. We want to share that message with the whole wide world. Mm -hmm. So after 25 years, let's get back to loving one another the way we did when we were kids. What do you say, bestie? I say, let's do it. All right. Welcome back. Cheers. Cheers. Uh, I got this mug. Gosh, I forget the name of the company. I'm going to have to remember and put it on there, but I really like this. What's it say? The will of a black woman is a very special kind of power. Love it. (laughs) So, uh, come on, let's do it. Hello, love. We are joining us. Yes, get into it. So this episode, we are talking about the children. Really, I messed up the title of the episode because was it supposed to be (laughs) the title of the episode? uh, It's okay. It could be like the subtitle of the episode is your inner child knows your purpose. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Like so, and it's not going to be a secret after today. Hey, Damaris. Hi, Damaris. Okay, so let's get right on to the light lesson because I think this one is really special for both of us because we both work with children. I think both of us have remained connected for the most part with mm-hmm. our children anyway. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like, let's dive in here. I think that's a great preface actually because I do feel like uh, working with children has kept me in touch or reignited in a way uh, with my inner child. Um, so. First one is kind of start off like, you know, what is an inner child? Like who, who that is? Um, basically, it's essentially the you that is still in there, the child that you once were, uh, before all of these layers that we, you know, started dressing ourselves with, our expectations of society, of our parents, uh, the beliefs that other people told us that we are, the ones that we told ourselves, our desires that we wanted to be. Um, that inner child is like that ble- that blueprint. Um, so that's the that's the kind of first point I wanted to make. And uh, there's a way that we can come become uh, more aware of our inner child. And first, uh, this kind of actually goes back to remember when we talked about before India the uh, baby picture or mm-hmm. like the picture of a time when you you know were pure, innocent, had that sparkle in your eye, that glimmer. Um, that is, that's who you want to acknowledge and connecting back to that, uh, connecting back to that picture will help you become more aware of like, oh yeah, that, that is me in there. Like, you know what I mean? Same eyes, same eyes. Right. Same um, eyes. And they say the eyes are the window to the soul. 
So mm-hmm. like, it is something about you looking into the eyes of childhood you where it can reignite this connection that you have with your soul. Your soul like we said before, it does not change. Your soul mm-hmm. is your soul from beginning to end. So staring into the eyes of that innocent you before it's been corrupted by all that the world has to offer will mm-hmm. reconnect you with your soul. Yeah. So that acknowledgement, I mean, if you haven't done that at home, um, please try it. It really is. It can be eye-opening and um, quite an experience. And then so uh, once you kind of acknowledge that, you know, like, yes, I have an inner child. Yes, they're still there deep inside. Um, then you can start to affirm and you can start to speak to your inner child and listen to your inner child. And there's a couple ways to do that. One way that I do it personally, and I'll just like show you right here, is just like journal, literally like all these pages filled up, inner child. (laughs) Um, Issues that come up in my relationship, issues that come up just with me personally, how I go through the world and perceive the world. Um, All of those things are rooted in childhood. You know, when we first got here and we're just learning what everything is, um, so going back to those, uh, to that place where you still are, um, I can also get in touch by asking like, or I'm sorry, saying like, you're safe now. Like, girl, this morning I was at the dentist and I just realized like, I was afraid of the dentist when I was little and literally I was there breathing in the chair. She's like all these, you know, scraping, scratching sounds, sounds. And I was just like, okay, breathe. And I'm just gonna talk to that inner child. Like you're safe, this is okay. This is a professional. She knows what she's doing. She's doing a good job actually. And like, you're safe, it's fine. Yeah, we kind of how you would. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh yeah, kind of how you would talk to a small child. Right, <laughs> right, it, because it's <laughs> you, it's, it's still in there. It is mm-hmm. so interesting to me how we create so many patterns um, of interaction or patterns of behavior based on whatever experience. that It could be one, ex- one singular experience that happened to you at three years old will inform the way that you navigate the world for the rest of your life. And Mm -hmm. it is really important that after our brain is finished fully developing um, between 25 and 30 years old, you know, whatever time it works for you or it makes sense for you. I I remember feeling like, okay, I think my my brain just finished. You know, I think (laughs) I can build it. You know, I can build it. Something is different. So after that happens, you really now have all of the tools and, and all of the capacity to go back and like rewire some stuff. And you will see when you start to interrogate things, I have something written on my window or on one of my mirrors in my bathroom. It says, listen to your trauma. Um, before, so I have to stop. Okay, like how would I normally respond to this? How would I normally do this? And is that rooted in, in experience? Like is that because of attached to some experience that I had? And if that's the case, then I probably need to rewire that thing and go back to how mm-hmm. I, India, would have done it innately as opposed to, oh, well, a couple times when I was six years old, it happened to me this way. So, like, now, for the rest of my life, I'm going to navigate the world based on those mm-hmm. experiences that I've had at six years old that I probably misinterpreted because I had a yeah. six-year-old brain. Mm-hmm. And we're going to get into all of that, but... Um, I, that was on my heart. I, I so what you're describing, it, it kind of sounds like reparenting. Like you have to like reparent yourself, rewire. You know, 
I, we're programmable. We're programmable as children, as people even, you know, we're affected by our environment. Um, and there's proof of that in the world with different languages, different cultures, different everything. Like we're all different, but we're programmed in a certain way and you can be reprogrammed as well. Um, so something else I do as well is um, I thank my inner child. Like it's just to establish more of a bond of a, like a trust is even thank my inner child. When I'm writing in my journal, I'll even say, thank you. You know, you did your best uh, at protecting me the best way that you knew how to uh, thank, I thank my body all the time. I'm talking to my body a lot. You know, maybe you want to close the blinds or something like that. You don't want people to think you're crazy, but I literally just talk to my body out loud. But even thinking to it is enough. You know what I mean? Like your body feels all, every single thought, vibration, down to every cell. So, I mean, cause it's all you. So right. um, those are some things that I do. Uh, and then this helps release any of those wounds that that inner child may be holding onto. Um, and then of course, accompanied with breathing as well. Like I said, I was at the dentist chair, like in the nose, out through the mouth so I can quiet the mind and then, you know, talk to that inner child that's like, <laughs> man your your inner child is it, it'll be like ah, it'll be like rah. <laughs> it'll be like you know like there, yeah. there are all of these reactions that have nothing to do with actually what is going on before us right now it has everything yeah. to do with them that happened 30 years ago and that two-year-old is really in there freaking out mm -hmm. and and what that is is i mean you can say it's a trauma and when just as a reminder like trauma is not the worst possible scenario that you can think of it is simply when your nervous system is overloaded so whatever is overloading a two-year-old or five-year-old or whatever age to whatever capacity they can handle if when it's overloaded it creates a trauma in the body in the psychologically that's what happens mm -hmm. and then it informs is a trauma because it then informs or changes how you behave so trauma impacts behavior so anything that happens where naturally i would have done x you know it would it would have been innate for me to go up to you and give you a hug but when mm -hmm. i was a certain age, someone pushed me away and said, don't hug me. And then that made me nervous about embracing people moving forward mm -hmm. because now I feel like I am being a burden on someone or I'm forcing my body, you know, it's just that kind of thing. Or the other way around, when I was a kid, my uncle said, give me a hug. I mean, this isn't my story, but this is so many people's story. Uncle said, give me a hug. And then I didn't want to give a hug. And then my mom was like, you better give your uncle a hug. And then from that moment forward, I learned that I don't have autonomy over my body. And if someone wants to touch me or embrace me I ha and they're older or their family, I have to allow that to happen. That is trauma, which then dictates the way that you move, which then opens the door for more compounding trauma to then come in. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. what we have to be mindful of what we're communicating and how we're communicating it to children now, because if they, they learn these things, okay, I thought I was allowed to say, no, I don't want to give this person a hug because this is my body, but now I'm being told that I have to, and that doesn't make me feel safe, but it's okay. Like, this is what we're doing. This is what I have to do. Yeah. Yeah. And then learning those relearning or unlearning or, you know, becoming aware. I just had a thought. I was like, Basically growing up just feels like learning how to become your own parent. Like you're just, you know what I mean? The way you talk to yourself, tell you what to do, however healthy 
whatever that, you know, inner dialogue yeah, is, yes. however else, inner monologue, you know, um, it, that also you can, I sometimes will think things and I'm like, oh, that sounds like just what I used to hear as a kid from my dad or, and from, and from his mom, my grandma, and you know what I mean? And it's just probably so on and so forth down the line. Yeah. And you have to learn how to just, you know, <laughs> cut things off <laughs> yeah, and talk and, to yourself in a new way. And be curious about it. You know, there are some things that I'll catch myself saying to myself or to another child. And I'll go right down to the root. Why am I even saying, why? You know, like, why? let me be curious about this. Why is this being said? Why is this the expectation? Why is this the manner in which we communicate? And if it's just because that's how it's always been, y'all can throw that away. We're not mm -hmm. doing that because we can see what doing what has always been is doing for us, like as a collective, as humanity is not working out. So it's time to do things differently. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so there's some other things as well that you can do to kind of tap into that inner child, build that connection again, or, you know, for the first time, um, listen back. And when I say listen back, it doesn't necessarily mean like, actively expecting to hear a little, you know, three-year-old version of you voice in your head answer back. It's not, it's not really like that. At least it hasn't been in my experience. Um, but it's more of a silence. When you, when you give it space and you are just silent and you're just sitting there with that pain or that whatever it is, guilt or overwhelm feeling that's there, uh, your intuition is what comes back to you. When you silence the mind, when you're breathing in your nose, out your mouth, you know, your mind is melted away and your intuition, which picks up on frequency, that's what your intuition is. Uh, it's, a, it's a feeling, there's a texture to it and you can start to decipher like, am I overthinking or is this intuition? And then the more you tap into that, then you'll know which is which. Um, and those kind of things will allow you to tap into your inner child. Um, be curious, like Andy was saying, be curious, ask questions. If you do receive something back by tapping into that space, you know, <clears throat> you can focus your energy on just a part of you that's deep inside all of those layers that we built. Um, your pure form, your blueprint, um, connecting with your pure form. And I think that is, uh, that's really the, the basis of spirituality is, I mean, your light, your pure form, um, coming back to that and living from that, living from that heart space. Literally living from mm -hmm. that heart space in order to do that. The way that I see it for me is that I had to clear out all of the junk that covered my heart, <laughs> that covered what I always knew to be true about myself, the desires that I've always had for myself, the purpose that, that I've for my arrival to this place, I had to dig and uncover all these things and clear them out to get back to that thing. Some people consider it like the maturation of your soul. For me, it was like just clearing everything so that I can get back to it. Mm -hmm. um, but either way it goes, it's the same thing of you've got to get, you, you have to do, undo a whole lot of stuff. A whole, and some things are very unintentional that have been done to us that get us away from our spirit. Um, from our inner child but then there are other things that are extremely intentional that are done to separate us from our inner child because if we mm -hmm. did have like there would be no one percent you have to be honest about it if everybody were just entirely locked in if everyone were super locked into 
their why, their purpose, their their mission here on earth, then there really wouldn't be tops and bottoms because mm-hmm. everyone would just be like in their lane and doing that thing very well. So mm-hmm. a lot of this, a lot of this does come down to intentionality. So we have to be smarter than the designers of all this and say, you know, I'm gonna get back to myself and I'm, you're not gonna be the only one in control. You're not gonna be the only one that has freedom and resources and all of these yeah. things that we all deserve it. So yeah, I need to get back to me so then I can get to that thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, just a few more things about inner child, like, you know, tapping into that, getting back to that thing. Um, try to be aware of what feels playful to you. Uh, what feels fun, what piques your curiosity, piques your interest um, naturally. Uh, try to maybe review what are some things you love to do as a child. Um, today, even just even today, I was like, let me sit my little butt down at this piano and just sing. It's just like, that's what's on my heart. You know what I mean? But I, And I can easily think that that's what, you know, 12 year old Brandon would have done. You know what I mean? Lock himself in the room and get this song right. And that's what I love to do. Um, uh, so when you also pay attention to anything that automatically comes up, a lot of times memories is literally like, Siri, take me to that one time my best friend uh, say, you gay in high school and I'm there. <laughs> you know, so pay attention to those memories that stick out that are, you know, that's kind of your, um, that's kind of your soul just looping those around in your subconscious waiting for you to become aware of them, mm-hmm. to be conscious of them. Be conscious of them, absolutely. I don't even have anything to add to that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, inner child, just play. We're all here to play in the end, oh, really, we really are. This is all one big, one big playground <laughs> with some bullies and some innocent children. It's just a whole drama. It is like it really is. <laughs> okay. We are going to go into here's what I heard. <laughs> um and it is my auntie, Whitney Houston. I adopted her Yay. when I was younger. And I, I mean, I really do. I love Whitney Houston for various reasons. But I will say, excuse me, when I was actually, when I decided, okay, this is the song I'm going to use for this one. I was like, oh, wait, I actually have a story of how Whitney Houston bruised my inner child. <laughs> and then and then her death had to like force me to heal this aspect of myself but i remember being in fifth grade and we all had to it was like a unit probably a letter writing unit and we each had to choose a celebrity to write a letter i don't know if your class did this but i know miss ferguson's class did it um we had to write letters fan letters and i wrote a letter to whitney houston and i never heard anything back i probably i was so salty i was so salty about this because somebody in my class wrote a letter to my it was I'm certain Michael Jordan did not do this, but someone on Michael Jordan's team or a fan club sent a signed basketball. And I was like, I'm not hurt. I was so hurt. And I carried that with me for the longest. So then it became like, I don't even care about Whitney Houston. I mean, I would say all kinds <laughs> of like mean things about her, but that whole time I was still a fan, still very much loved her. My feelings were just hurt. And on February 11th, 2012, when she died, I remember like seeing her on CNN, like Whitney Houston, it was like right before the Grammys, just getting ready for Clive Davis's like party. Um, it was really hard for me because I'm like, 
I've lived, I was what, 22? I think I was about to start in 23. Like, I've lived this entire time angry with this woman, <laughs> you know, I'm like, and not really even giving myself an opportunity to appreciate the, what she was doing or like watch that show that she had with Bobby, be concerned about her livelihood, like nothing. I had just like cut myself off from her because that thing that happened 15 years prior, I don't know, 10 years prior. Um, and then we, I, I like attended her funeral and everything. Okay. So I was, I was at Wait, home. what? No, I didn't really go. We were at home. Like, oh, okay. Okay. Time. Like, <laughs> I got dressed and sat there with my mom and, and attended that funeral and it was so sad. And then it took like years of me processing this thing and then getting to this place where like, one, I had to accept my feelings were hurt. And I, you know, I had never stopped being a fan. I was saying mean things about Whitney Houston because 10 year old I, me felt so slighted by her. Um, and then exploring how that, okay, so if that's what I did with Whitney Houston, you know, if as a child, when I didn't get what I desired out of that relationship, this person who did not know me, I did not know. And then when I didn't get what I desired, then I just shut down and this person was the worst person in the whole wide world, or I don't care about you at all. How many other times have I done that? Where did I even learn that from? Mm-hmm. So it really, I don't know, just be going through this process of like grieving for her and like really mourning Whitney Houston helped me understand some things about me where it's like, okay, I've got to not do that anymore. There's no way for me to tell her my feelings were hurt. <laughs> but right. I could have just accepted India, your feelings are hurt because you didn't get what you wanted. Move on. And and that was even, you know, as going back to thanking your that inner child, thank you for protecting me the best way that you knew how was to was to cut wit wit off and you know <laughs> see you yeah. at your funeral. Yeah, like see literally that's what it was. See you at your funeral. Um, because I didn't know any but that's all I know. My feelings get hurt, you can't mm-hmm. exist to me. You may not exist in my world anymore because you've hurt my feelings. Okay, mm-hmm. so we're gonna go, um get into the words of the song because I think the greatest love of all is like everybody knows it, but I don't think people really ever like listen, listen to the words. Yeah. And then you can sing whenever you want you you like. Okay. <laughs> I believe the children are our future. Teach them well and let them lead the way. Show them all the beauty they possess inside. Give them a sense of pride to make it easier. Let the children's laughter remind us how it used to be. Okay, first of all, people say, like, the children are our future. It's either like, well, yeah, duh, or, you know, just something that you say. But people don't really treat children as though they're our future. So if we Mm -hmm. understand that we need them in order for society to, like, thrive and progress and evolve, we've got to stop damaging them. If we actually believe the children are the future, then we should elevate their voices. We should give them permission. They, they deserve permission to speak the desires of their heart. They deserve permission mm-hmm. to let us know what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, what makes them comfortable, what makes them uncomfortable. They are the future. When we treat children like they don't know anything, like they're empty vessels waiting to be filled and they have to be taught respect and have to be taught all these things, then we are letting, we're, we're doing harm to them. It's actual abuse. And I said this very recently on Facebook, that it's actual abuse to tell your children that when they choose to not be who you want them to be, then it's disrespect. That's not disrespect when I'm choosing to be my own person. If children are the future, they have to be able to be their own people 
because they are who we need. They come to mm -hmm. earth, you know, they, they come upon this place exactly who we need them to be. And then we just do a whole bunch of work to strip them of that, to make them yeah. into something that anybody asked for. We don't need mm -hmm. this. So, yeah. So, um, and you know what? Uh -huh. When when we don't allow that, when we don't give that to them, then that's when the layers, they start putting the layers on, gotta survive this, yep. put the layers on these expectations and you know what I mean? And, and then also like, we need to equip them with the tools to be able to process the, mm -hmm. all of that's happening. You know, it's all growing pains. You know, you can't stop a child's feelings from being hurt. They're gonna get hurt some way, somehow, but it's all about teaching them how to process it. Absolutely. You know, so you know, cut them off until their funeral. <laughs> right. And I mean, here's the thing though, because I've said this recently too, children naturally emotionally heal the way that you're supposed to emotionally heal, but we get in trouble for it. You know how many whoopings I got for saying the thing that nobody wanted to say? Like, I believe that this is what is going on with you and this is why you are taking it out on me. Or I feel this way, you know, and we talked about this before, just imagine a 10 year old, a 7 year old saying this, but that that is emotional healing. This is what is that is this is what's going on in your life, in your experience, mm -hmm. parent, teacher, <laughs> sibling. Like, and this is how I am now being punished for what is going on with you. Can we heal you? Can you heal you so that you can stop taking mm -hmm. that on me? And uh, like I, I was very good for saying that, and not in that way because I was a child. But that gets uh -huh. you in trouble. Or, you know, like I would say, I'm not going to hold on to this. I will not be the one walking around here with resentment. I'm going to say what needs to be said. If I got to take a whooping for it, I'm going to take that whooping. Every single time, mm. India, if you're going to give me a choice, whooping, nah. I'm going to take <laughs> it. <laughs> because otherwise, I'm going to be carrying this thing for the rest. No, I'm not doing that. Whoop me. Yeah. <laughs> and I know I'm very frustrated. I know that was frustrating, but, like, I'm looking at these two, like, I got two options here, <laughs> and like I am not going to carry this thing with me because I see what that does. And I would say that, which then they'll be like double whooping. But I'll be like, I see what happens when you carry stuff. So I'm gonna say what needs to be said, and whatever's come with it is just what's gonna come with it. I'm not carrying this thing. <laughs> but you, we take that permission away from kids to naturally, emotionally heal by saying, "This is what I'm going through, and this mm -hmm. is like this is what I'm experiencing. This is how I feel." Because adult egos at this point are so bruised, you know, like it's so, they're so insecure as an adult, as a parent, I really don't mm -hmm. even, I know that I don't know what I'm doing. So then you sit here telling me that I don't know what I'm doing or that I'm doing something <laughs> harming you, that actually is like really, it's, it's like it, you're punching my insecurity, you know, like, and so now I'm going to lash out even further. Is a very toxic relationship that lots of kids have with the adults in their lives. Mm -hmm. And they look like little mini versions yeah. of them too. <laughs> Telling them the, this truth. <laughs> the nerve of you to tell me about me, but you know, like it's right. But I don't. I'm. I'm not ready for that. I'm not prepared to hear that. So we have a problem. But that's not you. You have to not. You cannot have a problem with a child when a child is doing that natural emotional healing, because then we learn to stop that. And then everybody walks around here just holding everything in and, and dying from the inside out. Like it is obvious. I'm like, yeah, it's obvious that we have so much illness that we have so much disease because everybody just holds all that nastiness in as mm -hmm. opposed to, and it just turns into resentment. It turns into all these things 
because we have been consequenced out of healing ourselves the way the only natural way which is just speaking if i could just tell you how this thing made me feel and what this did to me without you getting so defensive then I, we both could heal from it and move on and we're not carrying it with us yeah so i really hope parents listen and take heed okay mm-hmm. um so yeah we uh, give them a sense of pride to make it easier let the children's laughter remind us how it used to be come on like we cannot forget that we used to be children and that child is still in us. We're the same person we've always been and we're the same person we will ever be, okay? Mm-hmm. You are the same person you've always been and the same person you will ever be. And that does not mean that your behaviors are the same. But I tell people like, I am, I treat people better now. I don't say like, I'm different, I'm changed, I'm a new person. No, I'm, the, I'm me, but now I'm me who is healed. And healed me does not have to treat people that way. Healed me mm-hmm. is entirely secure in herself and she loves herself and she doesn't, she understands that people can love me without like showing me every second of every single day that they love me. I don't have to earn it from anybody and you know, all mm-hmm. of these things. So I'm, so the way I navigate the world is different, but I'm still me. I'm the same me that I've always been and I will ever be. Okay. Everybody's searching for a hero. People need someone up, someone to look up to. Now I'm like trying to sing at the same time. <laughs> I've never found <laughs> anyone who fulfilled my needs. A lonely place to be. And so I learned to depend on me. Like that's so real. I remember being in middle school and they in elementary and they would say, like, oh, write a five paragraph essay about your role model, who you look up to. Nobody. And I would and I would say that, like, I don't, I'm not writing this because there's no one. And they'd be like, India, there has to be someone. Oprah. Well, then you're like, they start pulling out just like random black women. Oprah. You know, like, it's like, <laughs> no, you know, I don't look up to, I don't know them. And then the women who are in my life, like, I might love them. I love y'all. I don't want to be nothing like them. You know, <laughs> like nothing like these. I, no, I don't. It doesn't exist. And so I get it. Whitney Houston, who also was a queer woman and and that's something that her family still doesn't accept and and you know that relationship seeing how that relationship with robin played out and that she had to like make this choice and that was the one person who kept her together that was the one person who she knew loved her deeply and knew and loved who she was entirely and she could be herself then she had to decide am i going to be whitney houston or am i going to be Whitney Houston and she and you know sadly she had to choose to let that relationship go and then we just see the decline if you haven't watched any documentary about her life or story of her life you just see the the decline of her life when she had to deny that part of herself but just imagine if young India had a queer black successful talented gifted Whitney Houston to look up to what would that have done for me? But she, as she's singing the words to this song, also was having to choose to live a lie and not mm-hmm. be that person she desired to look up to and then not be that person for me. But I can't be mad at her for that. But because it was a choice that she had to make. You're going to, you are the most gifted, talented singer that we have of this lifetime. And you grew up in a church and you're black and you're all these things. Like you're going to have to fit into this box. And I'm really mm-hmm. sad for her for that. Um, but it's really because I know that as a child, there was not a person for me to write that essay about. It was very important for me to be that person. And I had to accept that. That's something that was informed by my inner child and remains to be informed by my inner child 
yes, I do want to be a person that kids can write about. Kids can can say, I don't, I have this person in my life who I know cares about me, who I know is like 100% herself and like, and it has success in her own right and does well by people and has not had to sacrifice any of her essence for it. Yes, I want to be that person. And it took a while to get there to accept that. It's like, you want to be this, you try to be that, there's nothing special about you. And so then you own that thing. And that's what I did. Like own that. Well, I don't, I'm not trying to be special. No, I'm not trying to be special. I'm, but by being me, that is special. And I'm yeah. going to be that because I know my inner child needs it. And, you know, there's so many people who also need it. And I know that just being myself also does something for a lot of my peers inner child where they, one, can see like, man, if India can get on the other side of whatever, then I know I can too. And then also like India has, is becoming this person who we always wanted. India, like, and so if India can be the person for her inner child, then I also can be the person for my inner child. And then there yeah. we're like collectively healing our inner child. Mm -hmm. Okay. <clears throat> I decided long ago, you ready? You want to sing this part? Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, I decided long ago never to walk in anyone's shadow. If I fail, if I succeed, you gotta do that. Succeed. You better do that. <laughs> Come on. All right, go ahead, go ahead. At least I live as I believe. No matter what they take from me, they can't take away my dignity. Okay. So again, I really wish for her life that these words rang true in the way that she had permission to live, but she just was not. She wasn't given permission to do this, and and it, I mean, it just sucks. Um, but yeah, like literally, I decided long ago that I'm not gonna walk in anyone's shadow. I don't. There, like I said, there is no role model that exists for me. They're 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 I don't know manifesting themselves now, where there are absolutely women who I'm like, man, I and and I'll tell them I'm such a fan. Like I look up to you, and I. Um, but for me, I'm not chasing behind anyone else's dream. I'm not going to walk in the shadow of anyone else, including myself. I'm not going to walk in my shadow. I'm going to walk in my light. And so if I know that I'm walking in my light and I'm walking in my purpose, if I fail and if I succeed, literally they can't take away my dignity. I That yeah. is what it is. I don't, there's nothing that can be taken from me when I know that I am living 100% for me. I know that mm -hmm. I am living 100% out of the desires of my heart. When I say like, I am entirely fulfilled at this point in my life from in every aspect, that's what it is because I am living for me in a way where people might say, like, oh, that's selfish or that whatever. I don't know what you're going to call it, but it's what it is. I'm living for <laughs> me. And by, living, by living for me, that means like I'm also living for my creator my god like because i was created very specifically just like each of us was for you know a specific purpose so if i'm in that mm -hmm. we're good i'm gonna mind my business and no, there's nothing that can be taken away from me for that yeah because the greatest love of all is happening to me i found the greatest love of all inside of me the greatest love of all is easy to achieve learning to love yourself is the greatest love of all. 
um, learning to love your, and it, there are a lot of us who are on this journey now, and they're saying like a whole lot of like self-love, and it is real. So you're when you get back to acknowledging that inner child, when you get back to acknowledging that essence that you've had from the beginning, and like fall in love with that, fall in love with all aspects of that. And, and I'll get into this when we're like into um, integration station. I'll get into it for me, but it really just it fills you up in this way. I'm like I get it. I get what being what feeling fulfilled means now. I am so full of just love and acceptance for myself for these aspects that I walked around with such guilt for or shame or all of these mm -hmm. things that are useless and, and removing that it just filled up so much love in those places like I know 100% what I deserve from any other person from myself from the universe you know what I mean? it, it is just it literally is the greatest love of all it's not just a song. It's not just a cute saying on a postcard. Learning to love yourself is absolutely the greatest love of all. Okay, and then she ends, and if by chance that special place that you've been dreaming of leads you to a lonely place, find your strength in love, period. And my friend was like, she said when they're listening to this, I say period a lot. I do, just is what it is. <laughs> um, yeah, if... Following this, following your path, your intended path, being 100% definite in your purpose and like in your connection here, full of love. If doing that thing leads you to a place where all of a sudden the people who used to be around, your parents, your siblings, your old boo, whatever, like if they start to fall off, you have to be okay with the fact that they're not there they're not they're not ready for this but i have all the strength that i need and the love that i have for myself so much so that i no longer have to engage or invite people into my life who are doing the opposite of what i'm doing right now which is loving myself entirely mm -hmm. and we will end there yeah i also while you were like going over just the lyrics i just wonder like when is it where we have to love ourselves again in the first place? You know what I mean? Like children, children love themselves. Like there's, there has to be that first point which we want to mitigate, minimize, whatever you want to say. It's like there has to be at some point where we decided not to love ourselves. You know? Yeah, we were taught that. I mean, just think about it. Anytime a kid does anything that they're just naturally curious. Like they're inquisitive. They go to touch something. Yeah, I mean, it's just like a snap that it's like, or everything. It's like, well, dang, what do I do right? I learned to not trust myself. So then it's just like that insecurity comes in. Like, I don't even feel safe with my own decision-making um, because you're telling me that everything that I want to wear is wrong. Everything that I say is wrong. Every, and all I'm doing is learning from the environment around me but all of these rules are, have been placed on me that are like not natural to me. Mm -hmm. And even when it comes to like gender roles and like these assignments, like I don't want to wear this outfit, but you're telling me I have to wear this big bow in my hair and I have to wear the, but that doesn't. So, okay. Now I'm feeling guilt because the things that I want and like the, the way that I want to express myself, I am learning from everybody around me, starting with the people who are like, my, my parents I'm learning mm -hmm. that those things are wrong with me so yeah no I don't I, I don't know how to love myself because I can't be myself 
You're mm-hmm. telling me that. No, boys don't do this. Girls don't do that. I mean, I would even, I, like, I would have to hear somebody's mouth for the fact that I wouldn't carry a purse. I don't want to carry a purse. You know, I don't mm-hmm. understand what, why does it matter if I carry this purse or not? But it's just things like this when we plant these seeds, mm-hmm. um, body image issues. Oh, you're getting so big or you're getting so small or you're, I mean, it's just a constant conversation about who and what and how these children are where they do. Yeah. yeah. Oof, just bombarded. Yeah. Yeah. It is overwhelming. It is, it yeah. is extremely um, overwhelming as a child when you just have no idea what possibly is, is right about you. Like what am, what am I doing that is right? If you continue to tell me, if you're putting so much effort in telling you what I'm doing, that is wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Woo. And then the trauma bonds begin. And then the trauma bonds begin. <laughs> um, so actually, oh, going into this next uh, segment, Integration Station, um, this has been a week of, for me, of breathing, just going, I find that each episode, I'm just like, I'm really going to live every single episode, like throughout that week and really apply it and integrate into my life. Because one, I don't want to be preaching nothing that I'm practicing. And then also I want to also reap the benefits of what I am, you know, sharing, what we're sharing, what we talk about. I also want to reap the benefits as well. Um, so yeah, I just feel like um, this week I've been breathing a lot, asking a lot of questions, journaling a lot. Um, again, I just want to say trauma is something that overloads a person's nervous system, and then um, just yeah, there's what I'm about to share is not like a, it's not like a well, there's it's kind of subjective. It doesn't matter calling a big trauma or not. Oh wait, hold on, we got a comment really quick. So much of that as a kid, I really have to catch myself. Kids, that's wonderful. That awareness, like mm-hmm. Domerus, I mean, that is really like the first step. And I mean, parents, the parents do this, and you know, that's wonderful. Yeah, it is because it's starting to reverse and, this thing. Like it'll, it'll just reverse the cycle. And people talk about generational cycles. We think they're these like curses, like they call them, you know, like a generational curse. Like there are cycles where like you know our parents ain't choose transcendence you know a lot of the time so mm-hmm. then we end up then owning that same cycle until we say okay no we have to do mm-hmm. something different and then once you do that i'm the one who's going to do something different as a parent to my children you are actively breaking that cycle breaking that curse yeah. it's happens. a up to me it- yeah, right. So proud. It's like a thriving over surviving. That cycle is a survival, you know, technique pattern that is just, you know, continuing to survive. And when you choose to thrive over that, you choose to ask questions, question yourself, dig deep into things. Uh, that's when you start to thrive. Um, so thrival over survival. Um, anyway, so so like you know with these inner child wounds that we get, we choose certain partners, whether consciously or unconsciously, who it seems like their wounded child also, it just resonates, the energy resonates and it matches. And and honestly, to be honest, this is something that I've been discovering with my husband lately, like as honestly hard as it is to even admit 
you know, and to talk about with, you know, certain people or just to anyone, I really feel like I just want to just put myself out there, you know what I mean? And heal publicly and just talk about things that like marriage and like, you know, realizing like we have a lot of, a, a lot of, a big part of our bond is a trauma bond where I'm like feeling like I need to take care of you and what that has done for me, you know what I mean? When you feel like you have to take care of someone else, this is no comment on my husband. This is just me, what I feel like I have to do. Um, it's, it's brought up a lot this week and I thought I would maybe share some of that because it's integration. Like we're integrating healing in our you know actual lives and you know i am too <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> um so yeah i was i was talking with my mom and i was like you know where does this need for me that comes in where like i need to take care of someone like me and my husband we kind of there's kind of like an off and on thing that i've noticed like we'll be fine for a couple weeks and then it's not fine there's something else and it's like every time we loop back around to this not fine place it's like, I always have uh, like this hope, you know what I mean? Like, oh, this time, like, you know, you you meet things in a different consciousness. So the more that you grow. And so when that loops back around, okay, this time, like I understand it more. We, we reached a new level kind of thing. But at what point, at some point, I'm just like, okay, well, see you again in two weeks when it loops back around again. You know what I mean? Because yeah. like the the foundation of this bond is so deep. Uh, uh, deeply steeped in that trauma and again that trauma being just like me being you know 10 years old and being left in charge of my little brother and mm -hmm. you know what i mean and now i have this complex of taking care and, and i'm a caretaker connecting it uh to love in my adult relationships that i consciously or unconsciously chose to seek out and agree to um that's what I'm finding is, yeah. and she was like, you know, it, it is a lot of that. Like, that's my mom talking. She was like, it is that, you know, you were responsible for your brother uh, when you were younger, cause I was working and, you know, you were old enough and kind of sharp enough to see that, you know, there's a single mother working to take care of us. And even just that support, financial support, she's doing what she had to do to feed us. You know what I mean? even just understanding that at a young age is can be a trauma, can be a, a nervous system overload for a young child to understand uh, because they don't know they don't know about the world, about money and taking yeah. care of bills. They don't know about that. I didn't know about that, but I did at that age. <laughs> yeah, and, and here I was on the other end of it in my marriage, which, um, and I, yeah, it's like this thing where people don't talk about these kinds of things. Like talk about marriage and how marriage ends or like what are the, um, I don't know. I, I think it's ridiculous. People say like, you leave that in your house. Okay, so then everybody, <laughs> so everybody's going to secretly suffer, go through the same exact thing. But since we're all pretending that everything yeah. is great, everything is peachy keen up in here, you're looking across the street <laughs> thinking you're the only one who's going through whatever because they're over there just fine. No, they're just lying about it too because everybody uh, lies on a constant basis. I was gonna do that. I remember I even texted my friend at one point. I texted a few of my friends, like, look, everybody around here is getting divorced. I just need to make sure that you're not like secretly miserable. And if you are, like you can talk to me about it. Because I'm not yeah. being, I never was. Even being divorced, we weren't secretly miserable. There were mm -hmm. things that I was like unaware of, I was unwilling to acknowledge. So I wasn't miserable um consciously. 
but my body was starting to fall apart. You know, there are things that were happening. Mm -hmm. I didn't know though. Um, yeah. But acknowledging that my this this marriage that I had just ended a very wonderful person, the actual angel, was a trauma bond. Um, and and getting to the root of like you know, and we got together, we were living together together after two weeks because mm -hmm. I didn't have anywhere to live. Hey, um, same. Yeah. Hey, that is, <laughs> like, same. That's yeah, the same thing here. I didn't have here. anywhere else to live, so we're going to live together now. And I'm like, we have to call a spade a spade. I was homeless. And I may not have been, um, you know, like living under the bridge homeless or living in my car homeless. Um, but I definitely was in a position where I was between homes because I was supposed to, you know, I had had my apartment and then let that apartment go. But I was going to be purchasing a home. Um, I was being, I think I was being very rash in my decision-making in that mo in that time frame. So when things fell apart, I was like left without a place to be, um, mm -hmm. to live. And so that I moved in with her, you know, we moved into this abandoned home together, like thugged it out. <laughs> you know, and then, so then not only was that, it, it was not only was it a trauma bond, then it became a trauma bond on top of a trauma bond because we thugged it out yeah. like that in that house where we didn't have rain water at first. We didn't have a bed. We didn't have appliances. We were sleeping like on a max on the floor. And then like, we're able to make something of it. And then I bought that other home and we moved there um, it became a sense of responsibility that both of us had to one another more than mm -hmm. anything else. And she'll be able to admit this one day. It was way more about a sense of responsibility that we had to one another because of the traumatic beginning of that relationship. Um, and then it just was seven years of us just having responsibility <laughs> to one mm -hmm. another. And there is, you know, like there, are, there's a lot of things that aren't mutual that we need out of a relationship, out of a marriage, oops, out of a marriage. And we're not getting those, but we're going to remain in this because of that sense of responsibility. It was a trauma bond. Yep. That is exactly, that's exactly my feeling. You know, it's like, it's nothing like I don't there's I don't hate him. He's a wonderful person. I wouldn't be who I am today without him and vice versa. But there's a at, at some point I'm just like if I'm always it like within myself is something I have to hear within myself, not about him, but he it is like, you know, a trigger in a way for me energetically. Um it's something in me that I if I can't focus like on myself fully and wholly because I'm worried about you. There's some anxiety about you steeped from my childhood. Then, you know, like, where do I get to grow? Where do I, how do I grow out of that? That's kind of where I am now, actually. You know what I mean? Like, I want to get back to myself because like, it's like, I don't know. I don't know who I am. You know what I mean? In a way. I mean, I do, but in, in some way or the potential, at least, like, I feel like I can't really get to my potential because I am so worried about this person. And that's just how it's been for, you know, five years now. Yeah. Yeah. It is. And it's I survived. Tough. <laughs> right. I mean, it, it is. You know, we survive. Tough. Yeah. And you do survive even in other relationships. Like, I, I think at this point now, I'm so aware of my soul and my person. I've gotten back to a lot of me that I know when my soul resonates. Uh, when when I am resonating with someone and then like when you find that person, when you have a, close, a person where your souls literally mate, where they're like, we are in the same like place, we are on the same journey, we're in the same aspect of this evolution at this point, let's lock in. 
um, you trigger one another. Like that's just what happens. Like mm-hmm. when you lock in there, and you're supposed to because there are things where my I I have to have these experiences. I need you to trigger this in me in order to elevate me because I have to clear it. I have to I have to find that thing and clear it out in order to go to the next level. I want to continue mm-hmm. to elevate. I want to continue to evolve as a person. And it's been such a beautiful thing falling in love in this way where it's like, okay, there's something that is happening that is triggering something in me that I don't like. And I don't like it. And I don't like what it's doing to you. So let me go within myself and figure out what the root of that thing is, which got us mm-hmm. to this. Like why we even have this podcast right now is because right. that was a journey that I was on. Okay, well, I think that I'm manipulating you. I think that I am fearful of using or of losing you. So now I am manipulating situations around me in order mm-hmm. to make sure that I can maintain your presence in my life. And I'm going to be honest about that because I don't want to be that person, but I know that this is what's happening. And when that realization came, I'm like crying and being like, I can't, you know, I don't want to be someone who's manipulating a person that I love, but it was out right. of fear. And then I had to get mm-hmm. down to the bottom of like, why am I, what am I, why am I trying to control this? Cause that's what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. Why can't I just trust that you'll just love me? Why do I yeah. have to try to control this situation? Oh, it is because I've had to earn love, you know? And, mm-hmm. and my mom might yeah. watch this one day and be really angry that I'm saying this, but it just is what it is because it's what she learned. This is how she mm-hmm. operated. And, and I have a big, huge family and this is how it is with everyone. Either we are in active communication and so that you know that I love you or if I don't hear from you or if you have something and I'm not invited, that means that you don't love me and now I hate you. Uh, it's just like this thing on a constant Codependent. Basis. Yeah, like it's absolutely. Yeah. And I had to be okay, like fill myself up with enough love for myself where I stop fearing that you are going to go over there and stop loving me. You're, wherever mm-hmm. you are, either you're going to, I love me. So it doesn't matter, but I also know that I'm a great person. So I can, I've gotten to this place where it's like, I'm a great person. I'm cute. I'm smart. I care about people thoroughly. I hold my own. There is no reason for anyone to decide to not love me. I'm, you know, like there is mm-hmm. not anything about me that is, I choose to not love you above. Mm-hmm. So stop, you know, and this is why I stop, stop acting like this. Like stop acting like you're just some half dead raccoon on the side of the road where you know like people have to choose like despite everything that you give them like they just gotta choose to love you anyway but that's every car that rides by please love me what are you even doing like there's plenty what are you, you're like you're a great person you know like that doesn't yeah. but i didn't know that about myself and there were a lot of things that happened that came to abuse that taught me that I was not a person that was worthy of love. So mm-hmm. I like I had to we were like writing affirmations on mirrors and stuff like that. That's, that was very vital for me because I had to remind myself on a constant basis that I am loved and lovable. You know, I have mm-hmm. to remember that I'm loved and I am lovable. And with that, when I, when I know that, when I can go to that kid and heal her and like, okay, that woman who said those things to you or that person who did those things to you, that person was broken and they did that mm-hmm. out of their brokenness not because they saw anything wrong with you ever and it really could be they saw something a whole lot right with you and that illuminated to them all that was wrong with them and that is why they attack you in that way or harm you in that way mm-hmm. it has nothing to do with you you are a good person you are capable of being loved 
and loving mm-hmm. people without it being a controlled freaking hypotenuse you know <laughs> like, yeah. like, a, like a science like the scientific method well if i do this <laughs> then they'll really love me if i never say no to anyone or if i act all helpless yeah. you know like i even found myself over the past couple of months like behaving in a far more helpless manner than i ever was designed to be you know because it's like <laughs> well the only way i learned i used to wish to break bones or get sick as a child and like it really manifests oh, wow. sickness because I just wanted someone to nurture me so I could mm-hmm. feel loved. And I'm now I'm mm-hmm. over here like, oh, what was me in this way where I'm like, what am I even doing? You know, it was subconscious, like, what am I doing? Begging mm-hmm. someone to feel sorry for me in order to be around me. You don't need to be around me because you feel sorry for me. Be around me because mm-hmm. I'm a bomb person, you know, like so I had to yeah. really rid myself of all of that. Wow, that's so interesting. For me, I feel like, um, it, it, like kind of in the, in the opposite way. It's like my it is a form of control. You know what I mean? Like my mom told me she was like, okay, so if you were to let the relationship go, she was like, what your what's your fear? My fear is that he wouldn't be able to take care of himself. Uh, no, that's false. It's actually he wouldn't be able to take care of himself the way that you deem. Mm you know, quality to take care of them. And I was just like, okay, (laughs) you know, like, but really that, so that is a form of control. Mm -hmm. And so I have to look back. I'm just like, I've had this control since I was at that age where I am older than you little brother and can tell you what to do. And you're ungrateful. And cause mom's doing all this and you're doing this. And, you know, I've even caught myself, this was years ago that it's kind of been cleared where I, would call my husband ungrateful and i'm just like echo 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 back to 10 years old and i'm like oh that's where that started you know and that's what i'm learning to release and getting more comfortable with you have to sit with it for a while it's not a on and off switch those deep childhood wounds like it's gonna take some time to breathe into and so it can you know oh yeah yeah this is one that'll I'm not even going to preface it with something like I act like I care. Because I was about to say, don't give me a trouble too. But that's like that inner child where it's like, I got in trouble so much for saying things that I wasn't supposed to say. Like, that's that's, uh-huh. been the, that's my existence. <laughs> saying things that I'm not supposed to say. Wherever, at work, at home, at church. It doesn't matter. But it's just me. I've never cared. So I'm not going to keep uh-huh. pretending like I care. So I'm, that's me clearing something right now. Like, let me quit acting like I care about what anybody thinks about what I'm about to say. Because I don't. And I never have. And I never will. <laughs> Whoopings and all, you know what I mean? Like, but I think because I got fired from jobs, oh, I got right, like I got all those whoopings. Like, what I trained myself to do was like pretend to care about the punishment, or like, mm. or at least acknowledge that the punishment is coming. Forget all mm. of that. But when I was in that bathtub having that conversation with my ex-wife, where we acknowledged like, okay, our relationship began in trauma bond because I was homeless and you were coming up off a very horrible experience yourself i had just lost my job i had just gotten into it with my friends like there was a whole lot going on and you were the one person who i felt like loved me and would love me no matter mm-hmm. what and and i also felt like i was a very unlovable person it's like she's the only person because she's so sweet she's the only mm-hmm. person who will ever love me because i'm so unlovable that was a belief that i had in myself um, mm-hmm. but when I, when I accepted that I was homeless at 25 years old and that's how we ended up living together, I then was able to, I don't even know what happened, but your girl was taken back to being, I don't know what grade I was in. I don't know what age I was. I feel like my little sister was like one. So I was like maybe seven and being 
homeless, you know, and, and then like acknowledge mm -hmm. like, oh, shoot, there were, okay, so I get it. I get where this comes from, this belief that I have to see you and be around you and earn your love from you, whomever it is, because the only times where we would be homeless would be when my parents would split up and like my daddy would be like, okay, if I'm not... If I'm not with you right now, I'm also not with you kids. And so it was like wow. I had two very different experiences growing up where sometimes it was like very much some privilege involved. And we were able to go on trips and I was able to have nice things. But then I would be like, how did I also have such impoverished, you know what I mean? Like experience, I don't understand how I have these like, how I have these behaviors that are really informed by like poverty. Or have these behaviors that are really informed by abandonment, but my parents are still married and I'm 33 years old. Or, you know, like mm -hmm. my, it, it didn't make sense to me. So that, like accepting that I was homeless at 25, then also like made it immediately, I was like, oh shoot, we were homeless then. And like, and I learned, like you either have someone's love and with that love comes protection and, and their presence and all those things. Or, mm -hmm. and then when they leave and, and if they're not like right here with you, then they take all of that with them. And that informed a mm -hmm. lot about me. One, this desire to control how people love me and who I'm loved by. And then two, I need to be in control of my living situation at all times. So mm -hmm. it, it, oh my, this makes so much sense. I've been a homeowner twice. Like I bought my first home when I was 26 and then I bought this one last year. Um, and I, it doesn't matter. Like I'm, I've always been the person that people can come stay with. Um, I've also, I've always been the person that would say like, oh, you can live here. That one time that I became the person who needed to live with someone, then I need to spend seven years paying you back because I feel mm -hmm. like I owe you. I don't ever want to be in this position and I need it to feel like I've done more for you than you did for me in that time because I can't have you holding that over my head. And I can't have you having anything to take away from me. Like super informed. Control still. Yeah, yeah. it's like still like mm -hmm. super informed by these childhood experiences. And yeah. I didn't learn. I didn't. I never learned the true meaning of love and the true meaning of presence and the truly the true meaning of just like being able to be there for someone who you care about. Um, mm -hmm. It was always like transactional, and so all of my yeah. relationships have been very transactional up until that point. Mm. Very recently, like, That's interesting. That, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, for me, I feel like you know my dad was present, but I wouldn't say financially um, able to. You know what I mean? And even then, like you know, you go there on the weekends. It was kind of that growing up. And so I think I definitely took on this responsibility of like I'm gonna like try my best to, my way of loving you is gonna try to bring the best out of you and take care of you in that way, which which can turn into, for a child when, with all that power to, you know, criticizing, bullying, things like that. And I noticed those things in earlier in my relationship that I've since let go. But since then, the real core of it is like, my understanding of being a partner and taking care of someone is like, I, I start, I'm not able to take care of myself. I'm not able to focus on myself just to that point. That's what I need to heal for myself because it, it's not right. You know what I mean? Like I should, and it's not anything about that person necessarily. I may see, or I may think that it's this, this, and this, you know, I may see whatever weakness I deem to be a weakness and try to fix that or help that or whatever it is. But 
it's really all my perception based on this childhood experience. And yeah, that's where I'm at this week as far as integrating healing. Yeah, yeah, it is. I'd say all the time we'd be surprised how much of all of our actions and interactions and relationships are informed by one or two experiences that we had as a child. Mm-hmm. And and there's this like, I think a lot of people just believe like this is who I am. They'll say, oh, well, I, I am this way because this thing happened when I was a kid. I am this way because my parents did this. And then they're just like, deal with it. You know, like, this is why I'm this way because of these things. So mm-hmm. I need you to deal with it. And like, no, you're halfway there. You know, like you are yeah. just acknowledge that you're this way because of the things that happen and then go and heal that. You can't just say like, that's just what it is. It happened when you were four years old, you're 42. You know, <laughs> like, you come, you know <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. There's that still happened. time. There's, I promise there's, <laughs> there's still, still time. time. <laughs> but you're just going to punish the rest of us with a rent forever because this thing <laughs> happened. And I've been saying since high school, if you can name it, you can't blame it. From the moment mm. you can name it, this is the thing and this is why. You can no longer blame it on that. You've got to heal yeah. that thing. Mm-hmm. Or at least That's be so on the true. road to it. Yeah. And then so integrating that, I just want to share like how personally how I've integrated just this experience, this new awareness that I've just have come to, you know, again, as I said, journaling, um, meditation, breathing through those moments, asking those questions, um, talking to people, talk to your family, talk to your parents. If you have that open communication, uh, luckily, you know, I'm super blessed. Me and my mom have that. Um, especially someone I'm able to confide in and help me connect those dots. Um, but those are all things that I've been doing this week, you know, and then also talking candidly with the person, I mean, with the other, with my husband, the other person in the relationship, I'm very lucky that we not always, but we have grown, uh, into that space where we can sit each other down and look in each other in the eye and not be triggered and react and it turn into a big fight. And we just talk. And, you know, it's, I'll admit it's been hard for me at times. I'm one to shut down and be like, my protection is like, I don't care. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't have time for this. You know, that's my protection. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely, I know that I cannot be in a relationship that is not like highly communicative in a way where we, and we have to have the same vocabulary or similar vocabulary or at least perspectives. I don't care what yeah. language that you use. As long as our perspective is coming from the same place of we are on the same side, we are team us, and like we are going to identify the root of this issue and we're going to clear it and we're going to mm-hmm. commit to like being better people from this thing. We're not going to take jabs at one another. We're not going to play the blame game. Like we can't. We cannot do that thing. Things will yeah. continue to arise. Like at some point, I'll become a parent. And that'll be an entirely different experience for me because I've, you know, I feel like I'm the whole city's auntie or mom at this point, but having my mm-hmm. own, you know, like in my home on a constant basis like, and right. with my own, like with my face or my mannerisms, that'll be a whole new experience for me. So I'm certain new triggers will present themselves, but we have got yeah. to be a united front when it comes to how we're dealing with this. And I cannot be in any relationship with anyone who is not prepared to do that kind of work. We're not, I'm not, Mm -hmm. I'm not about to have toxicity 
in my life. Seeping through. Yeah, yeah, like at all. I am, and I say that, I don't even talk to, I very rarely talk to my own family. Like there's specific family who I very rarely talk to. And there are friends who I've had to release. There are jobs that I have left. What I'm not going to do is just invite any person who I did not know for the first 33 years of my life into mm-hmm. my life in order to do the same thing that I did not allow anybody, like those other people to do. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. We're, if you're going to come in, you have to come in being where I am. And then I have to have the maturity to say, okay, like we're not in the same place when it comes to relationshiping. This isn't going to work. I love you, but from over here. Yeah. Yeah. Whew, just being vulnerable. Being That's vulnerable. all it takes. People don't want to be vulnerable though. Yeah, that's all it takes. And like, I'm, I can't, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be with someone who I cannot be vulnerable with. I'm not going to be in a relationship, in, in relationship period with people, with a person who I cannot just tell you my, what is going on with me. It's not even deepest or darkest because I don't have those, but if I can't, if I can't trust you with my feelings if I can't trust you with that, like my existence in this way, your inner I, world, you know, right. If I have to give you some like armored version of me, then move. Cause I have to give that, that me to everybody else in the world. I don't, mm-hmm. that doesn't make any sense. Get out of my way. This place, yeah. like this spot right here is specifically for the person who can just like take all of me, like that puddle, India puddle, when like I've given the world all I have to give and like I just I have nothing left and you can like scoop up that puddle of me in a cup and like just sit next to it <laughs> until, <laughs> until it's time you know without judgment without any of that without uh-huh. expectation and then like I have to be able to be that person for you if I cannot be that person if you cannot trust me with your essence if you cannot trust me to problem solve with you if you cannot trust me with your truths then this ain't gonna work either. Like, what are we even doing? Mm-hmm. What are we? Yeah. What is this? No, like that is my relationship right. with the rest of the world. That is not gonna be my relationship with this one person. Mm-hmm. It's a survival relationship, then, yeah. not a thriving one. Exactly. And what's and what's the point? Because I can survive and thrive on my own. Yeah. I actually do that very well, thriving on my own. So I I don't need to have anyone come along who's gonna pull me backwards. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I guess we're going to go into light work before we, and then that'll be our last segment. I don't understand how my phone actually went. Um, It's on silent. Did you hear my phone ring? Uh, I heard a da-da-da-da. Yeah, it's on silent. Sorry about that, friends. (laughs) Okay, so when it comes to this light work again, this this is just how I incorporate this, you know, all of this that we have going on here into the work that I do, uh, we're both of us because we both work with children. And I'll say it was um, a no brainer for me. I know when I was younger, I either wanted to be a psychologist or a teacher. And even when I was going um, to be a psychologist, when I was saying, oh, I want to be a psychologist, it was a child psychologist. It was based on mm-hmm. my experiences that I had. I'm like, I, ne- I need someone, you know, I need- and that's all I knew that existed who kids need teachers child psychologists um but either way i knew based on the experiences that i had as a child that i wanted to go into work to be the the adult in a child's life that i felt like i needed in mine 
And then to take it a step further, by the time I graduated from college, I knew that I wanted to create a center that I would just say, like, kids come in with so much baggage where they can't learn because they don't, you know, like they're they're carrying all this baggage. Their hands are full with everything else that's yeah. going on. They don't have room to invite in, you know, like a love of learning. And mm-hmm. I really just wanted to create a place, a space where we could help students clear that baggage or just have somewhere for them to leave it, um, work through it so then they can learn, you know, and just and be available for that. And I was actually talking to someone at my house yesterday. My sister hadn't been in my house. And this lady was saying she's doing Duolingo and she was learning Spanish. And she's like, I'm really excited about it. I'm like, girl, I'm proud of you. You know, I'm good for hyping somebody up. And she's like speaking her Spanish. And I'm like, it's amazing. I love it so much. She's like, yeah, and I'm not doing it. She's like, I took, you know, I took a foreign language in school, but I didn't, this because they made us, they made us do it. But now this is something that I want to do. And it's, it feels so much easier because I want to do it. I'm like, girl, you just said a whole word. You know, like you just said a lot there because when I'm being forced to learn something, that's not, and I'm fighting you on it. Like I'm not in a position based on what I have going on or based on these like limiting beliefs I have for myself or whatever the case. I'm actually not open to receiving whatever it is that you are attempting to pour into me. But when I am free of all of that, and I know that I'm 100% capable and I know why I need to learn it or what it'll do to benefit or edify my life. Now I want it and I have space for it. So the learning comes a lot more easily. And that just really just informs a lot of what I do and did as a teacher and do as a principal. So um, one of the things I put on here, we talked about the inner monologue and how our childhood experiences really script our inner monologue. And I know when I look at kids, I don't look at them as children. I don't look at babies as babies. These are humans. And if I know that childhood experiences are then going to script our inner monologue, and that is what creates and reinforces these limiting beliefs about ourselves or, okay, we're not, we're going to make sure to get in with these kids and clear that. Um, This is why I always wanted to do secondary, so high school, because I need to clear what they did in elementary school and then give you equip you with the tools so that you can manage this you can when trauma comes because trauma pain and trauma will always come when these things happen you don't then allow them to dictate the the way that you navigate the world because that's a lot of what we're doing we've just allowed our trauma to dictate the rest of our lives and Mm -hmm. we make trauma-based decisions trauma informed in the worst way where the way that I react to people or the way that I view myself is just based in my trauma as opposed to based in my joy. Yeah. Um, then we have Maslow's hierarchy of needs. As educators, one of the first things we learn is like, well, students, if they're not, when their basic needs aren't taken care of, then you don't have space for learning. And then, um, let me just get it because it's right here. So mm-hmm. you have the hierarchy at the bottom. You have like those physiological needs and then you have safety mm-hmm. right above that and then relationship and then a self-esteem and then self-actualization so mm-hmm. what educators are taught and i kind of flipped this on its head but what educators are taught because we we're now we are inheriting these traumatized children they're not in a place to learn if they're thinking about where they're going to sleep if they're thinking about uh what they're going to have to eat they're not nobody's worried about that 
Nobody's worried yeah. about the um, scientific method right now. Um, and then beyond that, do I feel safe and cared for in my environment? Do I have autonomy of my body? Do Are there people who are going to listen to me and care about my emotional needs? And then, like, are there people who love me? Do I feel like I belong? And I'm a lot of, I see a lot of people get caught there where, okay, well, I have these two things taken care of, but I don't have that love and belonging in my household. So now that's where I end up joining a gang or engaging in these other activities so I can have that sense of love and belonging. And then you, then it's about esteem and loving yourself. And then you get to that self-actualization. But what really is going on is that we were born with this. Like, we were born actualized. Like, we were born, we came out of a womb that was meeting all of our needs. We were safe in there, up in our mom. Mm. We were, you know, whether biological or otherwise, like, we were safe in that place. We had the food. We had those things. Like, we could literally feel the love. We could hear those voices. Um, and we just came out with our essence already. Then the experiences of our childhood chip away at our self-esteem, chip away at our sense of love and belonging, chip away at our safety and security, and then chip away at our physiological needs. Then we've taken us to zero just to then get back to that self-actualization. Mm. So my goal always is to prioritize maintaining self-actualization for all people. And, and since I know at this point that I've met you as a ninth grader or as a young teacher, you have had experiences that chipped away at all of those things on your pyramid. We are going to go and fill in those gaps. We're going to fill that in so you can get back to self-actualization, so you can get back to that inner child, to that essence that had those desires. And then go change the world so the mm -hmm. i think it's the blackfoot nation their hierarchy of needs is self-actualization and then community actualization and then cultural actualization so like i know that for the most part i've been a self-actualized person my my entire life like i've allowed some things to get to like to do harm to me but i've always been like your girl's eyes on the prize um <laughs> and then when i found at my school i realized like Oh, I'm moving into community actualization where right now I'm really just trying to heal this community so that it can live up to its fullest potential. And once I'm able to do that, once I am able to say, okay, like, look, Indianapolis is on to something here because of because this school exists and it exists in a way that is healing and, and filling in those things and like shining light so that we so all of its people can be self-actualized. Then we could just move that on to the culture entirely and shift the way that education is done, period, right now. Mm -hmm. Because instead of having schools and school communities and families do things that harm and chip away from your essence, it's all just like feeding into it. And just imagine if you had all the schools around this world, all the institutions around this world were about self-actualization community and cultural actualization there's no way that we would have the number of shootings that we have the number of the amount of self-harm that we have the people who are like in jobs that they 100 percent hate you know there's so much because everybody's walking around here outside of themselves so yeah. that is like 100 percent just my goal and my goal has been to help adults really heal their inner child because unhealed adults resent children. And I see that a lot as an educator. I've seen for the past 10 years a lot of child resentment where it's like, 
well, when you when you grown, you can make your own decisions. When you grown, you can. But that really is. I was not allowed to do this. I wasn't allowed to have thoughts and opinions. I was not allowed to wear what what I felt good, and I wasn't allowed to speak my mind. And because I didn't have those things, and I resent that, you not you also aren't going to be able to have those things. Mm-hmm. And like it's just doing harm. And also because most adults are around here unactualized, they are in jobs that they hate, a bunch of teachers like teaching and don't want to be there. In schools, they really do harm to kids. So even if you do want to be a teacher, you're really not wanting to be there in that capacity where it's like, I'm stripping this kid of, its, of, of her essence. So they're not happy in their place of employment and, and neither are their bosses, neither are their bosses' bosses. Like it is our cultural... It is a cultural norm in this country for everyone to hate their job and for everyone to just live for the weekend. Like that is the norm. And since that is the norm. It's Friday. Right. Since that is the norm, adults just end up taking a lot of that out on children who do still have joy, who do still have that innocence. And we're like annoyed by it because I don't have that joy. You know, I lost that joy a long time ago. I don't have that light in my eyes. I lost Mm -hmm. it a long time ago. So I don't have the energy for yours. Um, and I mean, it's just really sad to me, but I tell people I'm childish. I'm going to stay childish for that reason. Mm -hmm. I'm going to stay a big kid because they need, but I don't know, like becoming an adult just means becoming rigid and bitter. Um, and just like working a job until you die. That's not, I don't want to participate in that at all. Yeah. Yeah. At all. Anything to add? I don't, but I think that is, um, I just love hearing you talk about your school and your uh, vision for the community. And I just love it. I think it's awesome. And, you know, I really hope this podcast is something that is just a beacon to other people that can help that a lot along, you know what I mean? That mission along. And because it's so important, you know, like, man, I was telling you the other day, especially with like just everything going on, how it just seems like school just seems like a like a like a camp you know what i mean like a security camp like everybody has to i'm just like let these kids laugh and play and you know be a kid and yeah it does not make any sense to me that schools are for children and children alone but they're the most miserable place for kids to go it does not make sense and i tell people that and that is because schools really aren't for kids it's a job it's job security for adults Mm. and like far more than it is about actually edifying some humans in there it's not about that if it were it would be enjoyable yeah yeah i so agree yeah but we're gonna change that though well friends we're gonna this one was pretty heavy i guess in that we you know like this thing that we talked about here so i'm grateful yeah i'm grateful it's a deep subject yeah yeah thank you thank you for yours yours inspired mine you know i feel like it's just it, it just should be that way. It should be it should be make sharing about your inner world normal again. You know what I mean? It should be normal. Yeah, it, it and it just takes one person. It just takes one person, but it comes down to this like fear, um, the this fear that if I am open about what I have going on, someone can use that against me. But like, yeah. Look, there's nothing that anybody can use against me at this point. I'm t- look around. You know, I'm good. I, <laughs> I, am, I am good. There's nothing that you can say to me. Like, that's why you divorced. I certainly am. 
I certainly <laughs> am. I'm not gonna be like you or your mom hanging on to a relationship that I you know, like don't want to be in, doing harm to myself and those around me. That's that, mm-hmm. that's why you were insecure. I certainly was insecure about those things, and now that I've figured that out, there is nothing that anybody can tell me about myself. And I would like for you to get there too. So. Yeah. And there's this fear in being open, being transparent because people can use it against you. People can only use against you what you allow them to. And that doesn't mean people take that and they like misuse it in that, well, I'm not going to give you things to use against me. No, right. I'm going to give you whatever. I'm going to speak my truth and I'm going to make sure I'm clear of, of my trauma and I'm not carrying baggage or shame. And like when when I clear myself of it and I make it public that that's what was going on with me, if you try to use that against me, like you look foolish because I used it against me for 30 years. And it, and it is because right. I, I identified it and cleared it that I am able to move forward now. So you're about, I mean, you know, you're a little bit late because I already was using that against right. me. Right. I'm, I'm already accepting my accountability. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're welcome to for yourself, though, anytime. <laughs> right. Like, you know, like, I don't really know what to tell you, but like, I'm good. And I, I did far more damage to me as I carried that than you could ever do to me, reminding me of it. It does nothing for me. So you just have to have that attitude with it. But I know that comes with like continuing to heal and clear. We'll get to this place where we can 100% very openly share things about our past and know that that is not, it was not me. It was my trauma. It is gone. I've been a good person. I've been, you know, I've been these things. That was my trauma. It no longer serves me. It's gone. Now, mm-hmm. if I can, if I continue to behave this way, then use that against me. But you know, like now, at that point, I'm being manipulative. I'm being, you know, I'm being a sociopath or something. But if I'm just gonna, if I'm just sharing with you my lived experience to help you grow from it, and you chose to to use that against me, it just shows me that you are an evolved person. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, friends, we are going to close this one out. Thank you. Domers, we're going to get you something because you're like number one. <laughs> you I know. <laughs> we really appreciate you as we grow and continue to grow. You are, mm-hmm. you know, you're A1 from day one. So, right. I love it so um, much. Thank you yeah, so much. We're, we're just grateful for anyone who listens and we're receiving. I know I've been getting messages from people. I just love that. Um, continue to do that. Please share and like and subscribe we should start saying that like and subscribe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you're watching on youtube or if you're listening on spotify or itunes like just keep up with us and you can email us we need people to email us and let us know what's going on yeah okay the more that we all share together and have more things to talk about and share about and that's really what we really want from this journey like community healing this is a center (laughs) this is a center this is your virtual community healing center okay all right we are going to end this brendan can enjoy the rest of his afternoon evening and so that i can i don't know get ready for my night (laughs) yeah all right love you everybody bye love you india bye